ESG has exploded into compliance and business consciousness in 2021. Join Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, on the ESG Report and learn about sustainability risks, opportunities, and issues that business leaders and compliance professionals need to know about regarding ESG. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to another episode of the ESG Report. Today, I'm thrilled to have with me my good friend, Gwen Hassan. Gwen has a lot of experience in human trafficking, and we're going to visit about, start with human trafficking, but then really use that as a springboard to talk about the S in ESG. So, Gwen, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you for inviting me, Tom. I always enjoy our chats, and I look forward to talking to you about this topic. It's a good one. So, Gwen, what really got you interested in the issue of human trafficking? So years ago, I joined a group here in Chicago, where I practice out of and live, that is called the Chicago Regional Business Ethics Network. And it is kind of a loose group, an association of ethics professionals around the Chicagoland area. And they hold regular kind of gatherings to talk about different you know, issues in ethics, new research that's come out in ethics, and it's hosted and coordinated through the University of Illinois, which is neat, and their downtown business school campus, uh, the Guise School. So they had a session where they invited a guest speaker who was an NGO called the Mekong Project, and this presentation was about this man's personal experience with human trafficking, and he had gone on a trip to, I can't remember which country specifically he was in, but it was in kind of Southeast Asia area. And during that trip, he had encountered a young girl who literally saw him, a Caucasian face in the middle of Southeast Asia, as a potential savior and came to him. I can't remember if he was in a restaurant or on a walk, or, but she approached him and asked for help. And He became, first of all, appalled and then deeply committed to fighting human trafficking. And it was the first time that I had ever heard that phrase before. And it was important to me, too, because he spent a lot of time then laying the groundwork for what human trafficking really was and looked like. And the fact that it's not kind of the Hollywood version that you think of when you see like a Liam Neeson movie and Taken or something. That's a part of it, but it's a very small subset that there's actually human trafficking that takes place everywhere, including right here in our backyard in Chicago. So that was my first exposure and what really got me interested in it. And since that time, you have been one of the leaders to talk about this issue in the context of either supply chain and overall corporate approach or compliance programs. How have you worked to tie the fight against human trafficking into really a corporate response or a legal response that you've talked about over the years? Well, as soon as I started learning more about human trafficking, it occurred to me that it fit very nicely within kind of the existing umbrella that most compliance professionals were working in, in relation to third-party diligence, right? I mean, we've had such a focus from corporate America and due to the focus from the DOJ on the role of third parties in corruption and in issues related to the supply chain. We're looking at corruption risk and the corruption perception risk and, you know, doing deep dives into high-risk parties. 
And it occurred to me, hey, you know, there's an existing infrastructure here that's not really being taken advantage of. Because if you try to fight the concept of human trafficking, it can seem, you know, overwhelming, right? Because it's a multi-billion dollar worldwide problem. So people are often left with this feeling, I know I was, of, well, this is terrible, but what can I do? I'm just one person. And I think the kind of the synergy for me was the fact that there's an untapped amount of infrastructure and systems and controls and money, (laughs) to be very frank, in corporate America, which is if they're already going to do diligence on third parties related to corruption risk, why not start using that same set of controls and processes and power to make sure they're doing their part to root out trafficking from their supply chain as well. So that is how it first kind of occurred to me that it should be part of a corporate compliance program. And I started reading more about it and learning more about it. And conveniently, (laughs) it was only 18 months later or so when the UK came out with this Modern Slavery Act, which was the first time that we saw a nation that had rules about human trafficking. Certainly there had been the California Transparency and Supply Chain Act, and that was brand new at the time that I started learning about it. But kind of the synergy with corporate compliance really came to the forefront with the UK Modern Slavery Act. So when you mentioned earlier in the pod that human trafficking is not simply an international issue, but it's a domestic issue as well, I was wondering if you might give a few words about why companies that may not sell or do business overseas, even if they don't have a supply chain overseas, why this is an issue for such U.S. companies? Yeah, this was one of the biggest kind of eye-openers for me, was learning about the extent of trafficking that's right here in the U.S. I'll give you an example without naming company names, but there was now a within human trafficking, a pretty famous example of a hotel in Florida who had hired a contractor, a company, to come in and provide janitorial services, cleaning services for the hotel. So they entered into this contract. This contract said, hey, we will provide cleaning staff for your hotel. And they had this multi-year agreement. And the hotel had, I guess, a practice of doing kind of these individual agreements, one at each location that they had. Well, it unfortunately turned out that that contractor had then subcontracted out to a different third party who was sourcing people from Southeast Asia and had brought people into the United States based on the promise of work and had housed them, and I use that term very loosely, in a shipping container. And there were, unfortunately, maid staff and janitorial staff for this hotel that were found living without running water or heat out of a crowded shipping container outside of Miami. So I think that even U.S. companies that have no global trade or global business really need to be aware that who they contract with may be contracting for human trafficking without knowing it. So the controls and tight controls over who you're doing business with and who's allowed to subcontract to who. And when you have a subcontract, making sure that you're actually aware of who it's with and you're doing your due diligence on who that party is, is important even for domestic 
concerns, even people that aren't global, because it happens right here. So, Gwen, I'd like to turn now to ESG, and I certainly see the work you and others have done in human trafficking as a part of a responsible ESG program, certainly in the supply chain, also on the sales side. But I was wondering where you see human trafficking fit in ESG. I call it part of the S. Do you see it as that or or something different? And maybe some of the other areas that are typically thought of as the S in ESG. I think that's a good question because I think it fits under multiple letters. I, I think it can fit under S with the idea of social justice in general. In a broad sense, you know, the way you treat people who work for you should encompass the concept that you're not underpaying, forcing, otherwise manipulating or cajoling people into working for you under false pretenses. So I think it fits into that broader social justice movement without wanting to detract, of course, from the kind of diversity and inclusion activities that also fall under the S. But I think it also has a place to fit under G, under governance, which is, you know, a corporate entity that has good governance practices. Within that, those governance practices include third-party diligence and making sure that they have a good process and process control and an audit trail that makes their overall compliance efforts measurable, trackable, auditable. And I think that human trafficking can fall under both of those categories, under an S and a G. The process side and the kind of diligence aspects of a sustainable ethics and compliance program fit very nicely with human trafficking, but kind of on a more philosophical manner, on kind of a broader sense, the reasoning behind why you want to have a good program for human trafficking prevention relates back to social justice and the fair treatment of everyone who's in your organization, whether it's an employee or as a contracted employee as well. When when you have these sort of discussions with either senior management or boards or really people at the highest levels of a company, do they understand the potential risks both from a regulatory aspect, but also uh, from a uh, reputational aspect? And are they willing to uh, invest the money to not simply protect themselves from such things, but also take the next step that you just articulated, which is really to move forward with a positive social justice and governance message? No, that varies by company and sometimes by person. So it's been an interesting journey in that respect. I'm happy to say that most people I talk to about this immediately understand the potential for reputational risk. All it usually takes is pulling out a few key examples, Costco and the shrimp issue that they went through, Nestle and the use of trafficked labor in the chocolate industry. And those land on the front page of the New York Times. And it is immediately a reputational issue. So I think that is a lens through which most corporate executives can immediately relate to and know they want to avoid. You know, no one wants to be in the leadership of a company that ends up on the New York Times front page for a trafficking issue, for sure. So I will say, though, for me, there has been and there continues to be a real educational component here when talking to boards and executives, because so many people have this idea that trafficking occurs elsewhere 
and it doesn't happen here. They think, oh, that's something that happens in, you know, quote unquote, underdeveloped countries, third world countries. And it doesn't happen here. And I think they need to be, and I consider it part of my role to do so, educated about the fact that the reason that trafficking occurs so often in third world countries is because there's a demand for that labor. And the primary demand comes from the first world countries like the United States, where there is you know, cash and opportunity and where corporate executives like them are looking to cut costs and make sure that they're you know, getting the best sourcing costs they can. But to do that at the expense of providing basic human rights for people is unacceptable. So I always view my role as an educational role first and then an advocacy role second, because once you educate people as to the extent of the problem, the fact that it impacts everyone, it really makes a difference in their openness and their willingness to then invest, as you said, the money's necessary um, to really build a strong program. One more thing I'll add is that I will say that government actions in this area, the regulators are helping that cause because now, you know, the UK Modern Slavery Act was one of the first acts that really kind of stepped into this space, but we're seeing it being replicated at a pretty rapid pace right now. Australia has adopted a similar rule. Canada is in the process of implementing a new rule. We're seeing efforts for similar rules in South America. So it's starting to gain some traction quickly. And when you can go to a corporate board or to an executive and say, hey, here's the problem. It's in your backyard. And by the way, regulators are watching. And here's a list of the new sets of regulations that if you're going to do business with people in these jurisdictions, you need to comply with. It builds a very compelling case because even if somebody has historically been unaware of it or unwilling to invest in it, as soon as you can show them that there's some enforcement actions and some real potential for negative media coverage, they become much more willing to listen. Well, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if anyone wanted to follow up with you on any of the points you've raised in this podcast or perhaps get some additional information. How could they find you these days? Thank you. Sure. People can reach out to me easiest is probably my personal email address, glennhassan at yahoo.com. But I'm also on LinkedIn and I'm planning, I'm in the early stages of putting together my own podcast on this topic, which should be launching in the fall. So stay tuned for a podcast actually dedicated to the fight against human trafficking by corporate compliance. So I look forward to continuing the conversation in that forum too. Well, Gwen, I'm very excited about that prospect, and I look forward to that. And with that, thanks so much for taking the time to visit with me, and I look forward to continuing the conversation.